What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's guest, Celtics beat writer Jared Weiss of The Athletic, also one of my favorite former colleagues at the publication and one of my good friends, joins me to discuss trade talks between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets surrounding Jalen Brown and Kevin Durant. We'll touch on Kyrie Irving's future and a lot more. Jared, my man, was great to see you out in Vegas Summer League, uh, record a podcast with you, and I appreciate you returning the favor with me this time, my man. How are you? It's good. It's nice to record a podcast sitting down in a chair instead of standing in some back closet somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the lower the lower bowery of uh, Thomas and Mack Center and uh, underneath the Cox Pavilion, the only place we can get some good audio for uh, the athletic show at the time. But my man, it's uh, likewise, uh, you know, it's good to chat with you. And brother, I mean, look, we've got a lot to get into with these two teams and the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets surrounding these trade talks with Jalen Brown and, and Kevin Durant. Um, you know, Jared, when when I first saw, um, you know, the, the latest rumblings out there as far as rumors um, between these two teams and, and the compensation, you know, my thing is right now, when you look at the landscape for Brooklyn, right, uh, they wanted certainly a package that could top the Rudy Gobert package that Utah got for him in the trade with Minnesota. Uh, to this point, that market has not materialized. And you looked at some younger guys that they've been, you know, open to getting from teams if they were going to move Kevin Durant. You look at Scotty Barnes with Toronto, who has not been put on the table yet. You know, you thought maybe, hmm, could Brandon Ingram with the New Orleans Pelicans be a guy that's put on the table? To this point, I have heard Brandon Ingram has not been put on the table. Also, you know, I, I didn't see KD necessarily wanting to go to New Orleans as well. Um, you know, they've had other rumblings out there. You know, uh, Phoenix was linked for a time, uh, obviously, because he wanted to go there. Same thing with Miami, but they don't have the assets. I, I never really saw both of those teams as realistic options, um, especially with Ben Simmons being on the roster and a max guy that um, with the rules that you can't have two guys, uh, I forget the, the term, but you can't have the Ben Simmons. Rule got, extensions. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. With, ben, you know, you can't have Bam out of bio there. So that, that takes that away unless you're going to move Ben Simmons. It's like, <laughs> you know, that. yeah, you're out here trying to play chess instead of checkers with all these like, potential moves there. So Jalen Brown would represent, in my opinion, as of now, the best individual player that they could potentially get back for Kevin Durant at the moment. You know, Jalen Brown's a guy that can be an all-star player for the next seven years. Um, he's, he's just scratching the surface of the prime of his career. And from Boston's perspective, you know, Derek White is expendable following the trade to acquire Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, I know Nets general manager Sean Marks has long been a fan of Marcus Smart from afar, according to league sources. And I'd also say that Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard would appeal more to the Brooklyn Nets in any conversations with the Boston Celtics um, from their salary perspective, uh, compar comparatively to Derek White and given their ages and upside. You know, Ime Udoka enjoyed coaching Kevin Durant in Brooklyn during their time together. With that said, brother... From Boston's perspective, which you have an excellent pulse on, 
what is the appetite for moving a guy like Jalen Brown for a guy that's going to be 34 and Kevin Durant, but remains arguably the most talented player in the league at this point, if not, you know, top three, top five. Well, I think we know the answer if uh, you know, Shams reported that they made the offer of Jalen. So that our answer, our answer is they're willing to replace Jalen with Durant, that they're willing to risk the short term, you know, the age and the injury risk and all that stuff to eschew a player who has been consistently very good, has continued to improve is, you know, he made an all-star team two years ago. He could you know probably continue to be a strong all-star candidate into the future. They're willing to, you know, they're willing to throw that away in order to get one of the best players in the game right now. You know, I've talked about this ad nauseum. KD, he has not been available a lot the last few years. He was incredible in the playoffs two years ago, incredible in the regular season last year. And then in that small sample size of a four game series on a team that was pretty decimated around him, just did not play that well. Like did not play like the, at the level that we expect at the level that you would trade, you know, that you would make this massive trade to get. And so that has me a little nervous because if you're trading for KD, you're trading for KD to put you over the top in the playoffs, make you the juggernaut in the league. And the Celtics are in a weird spot where they're not quite a juggernaut, but they just made the finals. They kept it all together and they added like two of the huge missing pieces that they were missing from the finals last year. So it seems like they're as close to a juggernaut as any team in the league, or they seem like they're at least the best team in the NBA on paper right now. And it's not even just an on paper thing. Like we just saw what they did last year. So, you know, last year they were on this crazy hot streak and maybe that cools off over the off season, but they added enough offensive talent this summer without taking away from their defensive capability that you would think that that would make up for whatever lost momentum they have. So I, I'm one of the people in the camp that I think this is a pretty even split on the risk here. Uh, and just cause I'm nervous about KD's, you know, next two to three years, but if KD is still, you know, if KD, if KD is, close to what he was in the postseason two years ago, then it seems like that's a pretty easy trade to make if you're confident he's going to do that for two more years. Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, what's interesting is Boston had an up-close look at him when when Jason Tatum was guarding him and, and giving him a little bit of fits in the first round, certainly. You know, the first couple of games, uh, Kevin Durant was not KD. Um and, and, you know, Boston swept them pretty easily. Uh, you know, Brooklyn was the only team to not win a game in the postseason last year. And I think certainly that's one of the reasons why, you know, there's been a little bit of tension since then. You know, they've given the keys to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving since they came here. You know, both of them have had some input and in, uh, some of the players that they've brought in there. And, and it hasn't amounted to uh, success. Ultimately, um, I thought the year that they had the two of them with James Harden and and they lost to Milwaukee when uh, Harden hurt his hamstring and, and Kyrie Irving fell on Giannis's foot that, um, that that was their chance. That was their window. They thought it, the rest of the league thought it, um, but it, it didn't come to fruition. And so now, you know, you look, you, you mentioned some points about Durant and his, uh, you know, injury troubles a little bit. So this is a guy I think people sometimes forget this. Kevin Durant has had two major injuries in his career, which include the Achilles injury and a Jones fracture. Um, the four years on Kevin Durant's contract remaining, um, according to some executives, could be viewed as a 
as a concern. You know, with the rising salary cap and, and max contracts, there's a thought among some executives that most players, you know, past 30 may not prove to be worth the exorbitant salaries they're commanding because they're more injury prone and they've played substantial minutes during their career. I know some executives have questioned what Damian Lillard's extension is going to look like on the back end of that when he's making an exorbitant salary with Portland. I know that's their, you know, franchise guy and their um, icon, but that's a lot of money to pay to a guy that's going to be that, uh, older at that point in his career. So, you know, you look at that for KD, you touched on it as well. I I would have thought more so that some teams would have been looking at it as a positive that, hey, this guy's under contract for four years and you've got him locked in, whereas other guys, that's not always the case. Um, let me ask you this. With Marcus Smart, like I touched on, Sean Marks has always been a fan of Marcus Smart from afar. Is there any chance that Boston would include him? Because I, I wrote this weeks ago that if they did put Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart in a package to Brooklyn, that could really whet the appetite for the Nets. Um, and I and at that point, Boston would not have to give up as much draft compensation as the Nets are seeking. You got Marcus Smart, uh, the reigning defensive player of the year. What are you, what are your thoughts on specifically Marcus Smart's availability in a potential Kevin Durant trade? Yeah, it's it's weird because Smart is, you know, Smart in some ways is the captain of the team and it's funny because coming into the season Ime Odoka was talking about naming a couple captains and then just kind of backed away from it and said he just ran out of time, which I thought was bizarre. And I'm pretty sure he could have found the time, but there was kind of a presumption that smart would have been one of those guys. It probably would have been like one of smart and Horford. And then one of the Jays, you know, to have that a bit of like a vet versus young star balance. And so smart becomes more expendable when you bring in Malcolm Brogdon, because you still have this depth of Brogdon and Derek white, as your as your two guards that could work next to the Jays or next to uh, Tatum and Durant, and especially Durant is such a great playmaker that the need for a point guard lessens a little bit more because Jalen Brown has made some improvements as a playmaker, but he's more of an off ball player or an isolation scorer, uh, while Durant is you know, one of the better you know, one of the top playmakers in the game. So, you know they they can lose Smart offensively. The bigger question is if you lose Smart. Does the how much does that affect the team's defensive identity? Considering you have Derek White and you have Brogdon, who is a generally has been a really good defender in his career, and and also Jalen Brown's a good defender. You know, he 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 takes some slack, but he is still a good defender. But KD, at his best, is is a is a great defender. It's just I don't know if he could defend consistently at that level at this point. Um, and maybe, you know, he played 37 minutes a night last year. I would imagine he's going to be playing a good deal less than that if he comes to Boston. So that probably helps. But so it's all to say that smart is it's not just trading a good player. It's trading a player that has this deep, deep root within the organization is a massive force within the organization and is the central identity to the defense that made them so great. And I do, you know, last year they wanted to build this team around a defensive identity and that actually worked. It works pretty damn well, clearly. If they make this move and they bring in Durant and they get rid of smart, they're changing the identity of the franchise pretty drastically. That's generally worth it. If you're getting, you know, maybe the best player in the NBA, 
Um, and you're putting him next to Tatum, who has a chance of becoming pretty close to the best player in the NBA down the road, not too far down the road, honestly, but so, uh, or he'll be up there, I should say, in that echelon where Duran is. But so it's hard. I, I don't, I think that smart is generally been worth more to this franchise than other teams because he's already embedded into the fabric of the franchise in a way that another team doesn't know if it's going to quite go that way. And so his intrinsic qualities are hard to so hard to quantify. And it's hard for another team to be like, we know that we can make him the, the face of our culture and we can make him, we can enable him to chew out his teammates and hold everyone accountable in the way that he does in Boston. And we think it'll work because like, it's, it's hard to do that with somebody that you're bringing in. We've seen, you know, we've seen that happen with a lot of other players where like that kind of, you know, that method didn't work when they're coming in somewhere new. So I don't know if Brooklyn is going to value him as worth, you know, two first round picks the way that the Celtics probably would and the way the Celtics have, which is why they've never moved Marcus Smart because they've never gotten a draft pick haul package worth moving him. Yeah. I mean, I think when you talk about Marcus Smart, you know, I remember, you know, when Golden State had the two pick, that could have been something that Boston would have strongly considered um, before they, you know, uh, Golden State, it took James Weissman at the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you as far as the assessment. I think certain guys mean more to certain teams. Obviously, Marcus Smart uh, for Boston, you know, finally getting a chance to really be the point guard, the guy stepped up defensive player of the year and Boston took off with that identity. Um, another guy, you know, you talked about, him being a, a locker room leader, right? And a, and a potential captain type in Marcus Smart. Grant Williams is also a guy that has, even though he's a reserve forward on this team, a uh, reserve forward, backup five, what have you, Grant Williams has a voice in that locker room. Uh, you, you've seen it when he's mic'd up before. And I, what I'm curious of is, you, you had recently spoken to uh, Grant Williams. And my sense was that if, Grant Williams and his representation could, they would, you know, be happy to do an extension with Boston. Um, obviously, you know, any chance you have an opportunity to get Kevin Durant and a guy like that may have to be included, you have to potentially look at that. So from your standpoint, um, where do you see potentially the palpability of Grant Williams being in the mix in this trade conversation for Kevin Durant and a potential extension for Grant Williams in Boston. If he remains a Celtic, I think there's a chance for him to get an extension done. I think what's tricky is how do you get extensions done when you're projecting the cap to jump so much because you know, $15 million now is, is really more like 17 to $18 million next year. So can you get the franchise to recognize that and compensate effectively? Or would you rather just enter the market once the inflation of the new cap level has already come into place? So I think that's a factor that's going to determine whether that deal gets done or not. Um, and, and of course, I, I don't see that deal getting done soon because they have to wait out the Durant situation. You don't want to you don't want to extend a, or maybe, you know, who knows though, maybe Brooklyn would rather have Williams already under extension. I assume they probably wouldn't. Usually teams don't want a guy locked in uh, a guy on a rookie scale contract already locked into a deal, unless it's a very favorable deal. Maybe that could happen. But so Williams, Williams is interesting because Williams is the kind of guy that you want on a contending team because he's a good, he's a good complimentary player that plays off the ball. So if, 
I assume the Nets are looking at this package as we're trying to build a team that's ready to pivot back into contention pretty soon, then Williams does make a lot of sense. And of course, if you're trying to get Marcus Smart, then that's another example of how they're clearly trying to go for the win now. So Grant Williams is a really good fit for that package. He's a good fit for what that team would need. You know, that team would need more shooters and he's a shooter and he's a versatile defender. And he was extremely impactful on Durant in that first round series. Like he was a huge part of the Celtics success in that series. So I think the Celtics value him pretty highly. I I still struggle to understand the value of a first-round pick. And, of course, we talk about first-round picks like they're a monolith. First-round picks vary wildly in their value because of, like, timing and where the draft it is and stuff like that. So, like, the Celtics 2029 first-round pick is a lot more valuable than the Celtics 2024 first-round pick uh, because, you know, there's a better chance that they're going to be bad at that point. So I don't know which like where Grant falls on the asset scale there. I think Grant is certainly more valuable than the than like a, than the their next available first round pick, and they probably would rather include that pick than include Grant. Um, but if it's if it's a choice between including a later pick or Grant, I think they might choose the pick instead, just because uh, you know like that pick could be more vital to their long term stability than Grant would be at that point, just because Grant would be a role player being paid market value after his rookie deal. While that pick could be if that team, you know, if the team falls apart and they got to bottom out and reset, that could be the pick that they kind of, you know, base their future off of. My thing, Jared, when I look at these Kevin Durant talks for Brooklyn from an optics standpoint, the nets cannot come away with a perceived package that's less in value than what the jazz received for Rudy Gobert. On the flip side, it appears to be a tough task right now that they'll get more in return as of now from a draft pick compensation standpoint. I know Boston has the picks to get it done um, along with Jalen Brown. Do you think that there's going to be an appetite for Boston to kind of close that gap more than what's been you know, reported to this point? You know, is Boston going to be willing to give up more than just Jalen Brown, some of the young guys and and, and more than one, uh, you know, future first round pick? Can they get to three or or four even at that point? Um, I think that would kind of equate to the Rudy Gobert trade because Jalen Brown, again, as we've touched on, this is an all star caliber guy for the next seven years. You know, when when. Minnesota gave up picks mostly to get Rudy Gobert. That's what it was. It wasn't a marquee all-star guy going back. That changes the calculus a little bit. What's your stance on that? If I'm Boston, I would rather go pick heavy than player heavy because you're trying to win the cha- like you're trying to win the championship now. And looking at the horizon for them, if like T- Tatum is good enough that they'll probably continue to contend even after Durant falls out of his prime. And and who knows, maybe they recycle Durant. Maybe in two years they find another team that's desperate and they see Durant slowing down and they move Durant for another young start. Or, re, or maybe they just send him back to Brooklyn for Jalen Brown. Who knows? So uh, I, I think that they're better off sacrificing draft picks five years from now because Tatum is still only 24. Like Tatum will be in the middle of his prime. He should be an MVP caliber player at that point. And they should be able to keep them if they're continuing to be successful. And so those picks are probably not going to be worth very much. So I'd rather just, I would rather if, if I'm in, in their position, I'd rather keep smart and move white 
and throw in three draft picks and and play it that way. Rather keep Grant Williams, pay Grant Williams, and go deeper into the tax that way. Well, I could tell you Sean Marks is going to be on the phone with Brad Stevens, and it's going to go a little bit like this. Hey, mate, how are you? You know, listen, Kevin Durant, remember the core, top 15, top 10, somewhere in that range, play all time. You got to give to get, brother. All right, mate. You know, you, you, it's, it's going to go something like that. He's Sean is definitely going to try to get more than, you know, all due respect, Derek White. Derek White is a little bit older with the way Brooklyn's going to have this potential young core with, you know, you're kind of building around Ben Simmons. Um, if you move Durant, you know, and we'll touch on this in a second about Kyrie Irving's future, but you're going to want more young guys. You're not going to want like, again, all due respect to Derek White. Derek White doesn't move the needle. Um, at least in their eyes. So you got Kyrie Irving, which is the next part of this that I wanted to touch on with you. You know him well. You spent some time with him in the locker room, as have I. Um, so here's my thing with Kyrie Irving, brother. If the Nets trade, if if the Nets trade Kevin Durant, it could mean the end of Kyrie Irving's time in Brooklyn as well. There's a school of thought from some that Brooklyn could get under the luxury tax by moving both Durant and Irving. Now, while Nets owner Joe Sy has clearly shown a willingness to pay the luxury tax for a championship contending team, it may appeal less to him if the team is merely a playoff caliber team uh, with the returns that they get if they move both of these guys. Now, again, I don't think deep down in their hearts, within the organization, the Nets want to move Kevin Durant. I want to make that clear. Oh, That's why the asking price is so exorbitant. I think deep down, the Nets really want Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to come back, give it another shot. You've got Ben Simmons, who would be your third piece. You've added TJ Warren. You've brought back Nicholas Claxton. Joe Harris is coming back healthy. You've got a full season with Seth Curry. You've got pieces here, and and you can always get a big in the buyout market. There's still time for them to add front court size, which for some reason always seems to happen with the Nets halfway through the year. It's like, hey, you know, we need a bigger body. You know, it always seems to be for whatever reason. And so with that in mind, I think that that would be interesting to me. But that that's my stance on... With Kyrie, you know, I know some people I've seen like on Twitter. Oh, well, you know, actually, if they if they got Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving, that's an interesting team. It's like, folks, Kyrie Irving. Yes, the Nets, you know, wanted Kyrie Irving in free agency if they could get him. But let's be clear. A large part of that is because it came with he came with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's time with the Brooklyn Nets. He has left the team for personal reasons. He has he did not get vaccinated. And the big three became the big two and a half. It was a major reason why James Harden wanted out. And they have failed to reach the expectations he has publicly hoped for with the team and the team has hoped for since they all joined forces. What do you got for me, brother? I think that the the fraying and the trust in Irving with the organization as much, you could move on from all those things, but I don't think you can move on from just the results in that playoff series. Like that, I just that playoff series was so shocking to me because remember we, it's hard to remember we were coming, everybody was coming into that thinking like this is going to go seven. A lot of people were picking the Nets. Everybody was you know clowning the Celtics for wanting to take the Nets on, and 
sure, the Celtics played great in that series, but also like the the Nets looked kind of helpless. And to KD, as much as KD struggled, KD was playing his ass off trying to get it done. And Boston executed a brilliant game plan on him. And Kyrie just didn't help that much. Kyrie was not very present in especially the last couple games. Defensively, it was very up and down. And just wasn't able to create that effectively. Wasn't able to fight through the defense to open up for others that effectively. He just looked, he looked checked out. And of all the things that I think would bother me if I was Sean Marks and Joe Sy, it would be that we just felt like Kyrie underperformed pretty dramatically in the postseason after everything that we did to try to make it work with him. And that's why I would be out on him is because of that. I just wouldn't trust to build around him. And I mean, the thing is, I I heard that uh, they weren't that they weren't willing to uh, somebody reported that they weren't interested in taking on Russell Westbrook and buying him out to get the picks from Lakers. That seems absurd. Like you have to you have to take that deal. If if you can if you can get two future first from the Lakers at a point of their timeline where like there's a good chance that franchise is done, you, you have to take that on. Like that's just it's too it's it's too those assets are too valuable. You could flip those assets again pretty soon to get another player that you want. Well, I'll say this, Jared. It, when it comes to any potential Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving trade talks, I would say this. First of all, if the Lakers are moving Russell Westbrook to any team, both first round picks are going to have to be included. You already saw Indiana decline multiple second round picks. Doesn't have the cachet that a first round pick does, especially given where the Lakers could be in a few years from now, you know, post LeBron's eventual exit from the team. And, um, you know, you're talking 2027, 2029. I mean, come on. So and Kyrie is a guy that has kind of made it sound like he might yeah. be walking away from the game by 33. Assuming he's even he's still in the league at that point. Of course. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, either way, for the both of them seven years later, I mean, this isn't even like a conversation. They're not going to be yeah, at the exactly. level they are now if they're even still playing. My point being with, with Russell Westbrook for the Lakers, they're going to have to the, the predominant thought is they're going to have to move both second round, uh, both first round picks if they're going to get off his his huge contract and acquire somebody worthwhile like a Kyrie Irving. Now, I'll say this from the, you, you kind of framed it from a, a Nets and a Lakers perspective. If the Nets were going to get Russell Westbrook, my assumption would be there would be a third team involved and one of those first round picks would go to a salary cap team like the Indiana Pacers, like the San Antonio Spurs. You know, the, there are other teams that could, those are just examples. But a third team that could take on Westbrook would have more of an appetite for buying him out to get the first round pick. I think then you're also going to have to talk with the Lakers, you know, trying to get those picks as unprotected as possible. Um, and, you know, for the Nets, that I'll, I'll say this, Jared, putting theoretically Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons on the court together at the same time no. would shrink the court smaller than like a nine and 10 year old peewee basketball game on a Sunday morning. Okay. The, the floor is not going to be that space. I, I don't see the nets having the appetite for that. Well, that organization has no appetite for bringing Russell Westbrook in after exactly. all the headaches they dealt with. Like they, they had that leak where Joe Sy was like, we're not having a repeat of last year. They don't want, they want good vibes only. And what Russ has just been bad vibes uh, for the last year. And I said, is Jared, that's results driven because again, you touched on how shocking that that series was. The Nets, after that game one, and Kyrie showed up in game one, 
after that, it just seemed like it demoralized them and they didn't have enough in the tank after that. I'll say this about Kevin Durant. Um, you know, you saw him up close and personal in that playoff series in, in Boston. I can tell you, you know, you're talking 20 games left in the regular season or more. When Kevin Durant was carrying this team on his back, playing 40 plus minutes a night, I watched this guy walk out of the arena. Okay. This guy gave his all. Like he would walk out, he was exhausted. And he was looked, beat by that point of the season. Yeah, he looked like he was dragging himself out of the arena. I have a lot of respect for Kevin Durant. I, I'll say this. Kevin Durant never quit on the situation last season with the Nets as he depleted fought. as they were. On the court, he did not. He gave everything, every ounce that he had. I want to make that clear. As far as his trade request goes to now, you know, get out of Brooklyn, his desire, Um you know, time will tell if that ends up getting honored or not. But I'll say this, you know, Kobe Bryant one time wanted out of the Lakers and it didn't happen. So, you know, I, I think there's still time here where it's not a lock. It is not a lock to me and to other executives around the league that Kevin Durant gets traded. So time will tell on that. But did you have any other um, final thoughts on the situation, Jared, when it comes to Boston potentially trying to get Kevin Durant. Do you think they're the favorites if they do end up, you know, including Jalen Brown in a package? What, what are your overall thoughts as we get ready to wrap up here? And, and anything on Kyrie Irving as well? I feel like Toronto is best positioned to to make the move because they can offer, they have the potential to offer basically like three really quality starters and several draft picks. The Celtics can do that as well, but Toronto, I think, has a little bit more youth going in their favor there, a little bit more offense going in their favor there, which I think is probably more attractive, especially if you're building around Ben Simmons, who's such a strong defender. Although, yeah, I, I mean, a, a huge, I think a huge subplot here with Brooklyn is just what the hell are we expecting from Ben Simmons? Like, I, I don't feel, I don't expect Ben Simmons to just, or I shouldn't say I don't expect, but like, I, I don't have confidence that Ben Simmons is going to jump back into being where he was in the regular season a couple of years ago. We we have we, they, I, I I don't think we can just presume that they can just build around Ben Simmons again. I mean, there's definitely a thought that you know Ben's going to guard the best player one through five, really probably four, not five, but that's their thought. There, he could play a little bit of the Bruce Brown role on offense, maybe even take an occasional corner three. But um, they want him out in transition, getting easy looks for Durant and Irving trailing, and and I think he can do that for sure. That's I do what we think he's going to. I think he's going to help them defensively, no question. Um, interesting, you know, you mentioned Toronto, uh, you know, that they could be the favorite. I mean, look, if they put Scotty Barnes in a trade, which they have not done to this point, then I think you've got a real conversation there. I know for Brooklyn, that's absolutely what they're angling for. Um, you know, I don't know if Brooklyn is going to be okay with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. I think that would be an interesting conversation. You know, Gary Trent Jr. is also a guy that uh, could be in a contract year. He's got a player option. And if he plays the way he did last year, I would expect him to opt out and enter free agency. So you've got those variables as well that uh, could potentially be uh, be had for uh, Toronto to try to use. They've shown a willingness to go for a star uh, like they did with Kawhi Leonard, and he was in you know last year of his contract. The Rants got four more. And you know the big thing is with Toronto 
if they include too many of their top rotation guys, they're not going to have enough depth around what Van Vliet, Durant, and whomever, what other, you know, whoever between Barnes and Siakam is left. I don't know if they have enough talent around those guys to clearly be an elite team. And you don't want to make a trade for Durant unless you think you're the best team in the NBA at that point. And it would be, it's, it's harder for me to envision a multiplayer trade for Toronto that makes them a clear juggernaut compared to Boston, who I think has enough depth that they can pull that off. And, you know, and the other, obviously the other team out there that just makes the most sense is just new Orleans. If you can just do Ingram and five draft picks that, you know, that's a package that immediately catapults you towards the top of the West because you're not really taking much away from your actual rotation there. Yeah. And I, I would agree with you theoretically, though. I will say that, you know, I think I touched on it earlier, but Brandon Ingram has not been, to my knowledge, Brandon Ingram has not been offered to the Brooklyn Nuts in any Kevin Durant conversation. And if that's not happening, there really is no conversation. Uh, let's be frank for both, for both sides. Um, but Jared, I appreciate you joining me, brother. Uh, it was a pleasure as always. Thank you, man. Always great to talk to you. I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members, such as my main man, Jared Weiss from The Athletic, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Jared too. He's at Jared Weiss NBA. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scott, wishing you and yours all the best.